0: How did chewing gum lead to the discovery of an ancient civilization?
1: And what famous sitcom started and ended with the same phrase? Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Started
0: and ended with the same
1: phrase? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Answers to these and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to The Off Ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life with interesting information and trivia. That's what our show is all about. Well, Marcia, how did chewing gum lead to the discovery of an ancient civilization? I say discovery being European discovery.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know, someone got it stuck on the bottom of their shoes and stumbled into a new world? It's a little
0: bit of a trick question.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. But it has nothing to do
0: with sticking gum on the bottom of your shoe. <laughs> I'm
1: sure it doesn't. Okay, tell me. It has something to do with the, the ingredients in gum, right? That's right. They went on a search looking for this certain gum ingredient? That's right. Ingredient. Th- that's
0: exactly right.
1: Well, thank you.
0: Chewing gum's main ingredient is chicle, right?
1: Chickle? Is that why they're called chiclets? Yeah, that's right. okay.
0: And when chewing gum began to gain in popularity in the 19th century, there was a great demand for chickle, the sap of the sapodilla tree. Chewing gum is made from chickle, and the sapodilla trees are located in the jungles of Central and South America. And workers going into the jungle to collect chickle knew about many archaeological sites. That were covered in vegetation the mayan civilization
1: okay and they
0: alerted archaeologists oh you're looking for that here we find this here all the time oh no kidding so that's how archaeologists got into the mayan world in the 19th century and started uncovering all of this in
1: which part of the world
0: central america yeah and apparently chicle was a big product for them too the wood of the tree the sapodilla tree the mayans used the the wood from that They found Mayan wood around the temples, some of the temples that survived, and then they also uh, harvested the gum to quench their thirst and everything. Oh, they
1: did. They did use it for that purpose, to chew on it.
0: Yeah. And the gum was also uh, one of their ancient trade goods. Merchants took it to central Mexico, where it was adopted by the Aztec culture. In fact, the word chicle is derived from a word which means to stick, like gum, going back to your idea of the gum sticking to something, and the resin and wood may also have been used to produce glue and varnish in the Mayan culture. Marcia, now let's go to your question about a sitcom that started and ended with the same phrase.
1: You know this sitcom? You, I think you saw the first and the last, probably, and it's a nine-year-running sitcom. Hmm. And it I, I don't think many of us knew when it ended that that was the same phrase. The one they used in the beginning
0: I bet it was M.A.S.H. then.
1: No. No? That that would jump into my head, too. Okay,
0: Mary Tyler Moore.
1: No. All right, what was it? It was Seinfeld. In a full circle moment, the first scene of the series started in a coffee shop with Jerry telling George that a button on his shirt was too high and that it makes or breaks the shirt since it's in no man's land. (laughs) 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 And in the very last scene of the finale... A finale, which hardly anybody liked, as I recall. Remember when they're all sitting in the jail cell? Yes. Jerry alludes to it again, saying, The second button is the key button. It literally makes or breaks the shirt. As the camera pans back, George says, haven't we had this conversation before? (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yeah, and Jerry ends the series with, maybe we have. (laughs) Oh, isn't that
0: funny? And I bet very few of us ever even know, what what are they talking about? Yeah,
1: I didn't know what they were talking about, which is part of the reason everybody hated it. (laughs) Oh, it's an inside
0: joke, too. Yeah, yeah. Very inside joke. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, that's interesting. Well, that's mm-hmm. kind of a cute little trivia thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: here's an animal question. You're, you've been the animal question expert up to this point well, am, on this show. I am the expert. Yes, you are. So let me ask you this. What animals have been known to become intoxicated and have refused admission to their communities by their fellow animals?
1: Birds? No, smaller than that. Smaller than birds? Mosquitoes? Smaller than that. Well, almost said it. I heard it. I was going to say ants. Ants, yes. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Although they are, for the most part, no-nonsense insects. Some ants have been known to get stoned on a nectar which they lap from the bodies of certain beetles. Problem, ants like these have been known to fall down, refusing to move any further.
1: And They don't carry their loads all there, yeah. huh? I'm not going to carry that. So what happens? The sober ants
0: crowd around them stroking their bodies, attempting to nudge them back to their feet, and often the ants have to be carried back to the nest to sleep it off. Are you
1: kidding? Isn't that That's funny? hilarious.
0: One naturalist has reported that he saw one ant carry another intoxicated ant up to the nest, only to be met by two working ants who refused to let the drunken ant in. That's funny. Isn't that They grabbed him, carried him across the path, and flung him into a pond.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Does that kill him?
0: No, the dunking had a sobering effect. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's just like real people. You just wow. like, I'll throw him in the river. See if wow. it. just... Wow,
1: that's a lot of complicated behavior there for ants.
0: Isn't that hilarious? That's yes. from the Encyclopedia of Amazing But True Facts. Wow,
1: I like that. So I assume it's true. I assume.
0: It's it's a funny imagery, isn't it, yeah. to think of an ant being like, what yeah. is
1: wrong with Harold? Yeah. That should... oh,
0: he's in the nectar again. You know, <laughs>
1: That should be in one of the cartoons. Right. <laughs> yes. It sounds like a Disney cartoon it does. moment. Yeah. Okay, Bob. There's a major heat wave going on in parts of the world. Yes. Including the United Kingdom, it's uh, where it's often sweltering to over 100 degrees and above
0: in Fahrenheit. But they don't use that, of course. They use Celsius. Yeah, I'm there. talking
1: our Ar- our degrees. Just so we can all understand it, Bob.
0: Little provincial look at England from America. Yes. 100 degrees. Yes. Why Fahrenheit. don't they talk
1: like us? I don't <laughs> understand it. So, uh, going into that thinking, Bob, how many Brits do you think have air conditioning?
0: Oh, very few, I'll bet. Yeah. It's because it's never been a big deal. You know, it's usually been moist and wet in the summers, and it can be cool. It can be hot, but not that hot.
1: Yeah. So, what's their answer? What's the question again? <laughs> You just went off there on a tangent. What percentage of Brits do you think have air conditioning?
0: Very few. I think that was
1: my answer. (laughs) Yeah, but give me a percentage. All right.
0: I'll say 20% or less.
1: Yeah. Well, roughly 5%.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Uh, Compare that to over 85% in the U.S. That's a lot of people, 85%. Yeah. But uh, Britons rarely get that hot because it is an island. But I don't know, after this summer, I wouldn't mind being, a what, an HVAC dealer in the. Oh, my
0: goodness. Can you imagine they may, must Britain. be making a killing now? Oh,
1: yeah, just like crazy.
0: Well, I've got a question about a country. What country was originally called New Holland? Now oh, I'm going to give you a choice here. Thank
1: you, thank you.
0: Was it Australia, New Zealand, Indonesia, or South Africa? And it was on the maps. There are actual globes with New Holland New Holland, Holland printed same across, again, same again. Okay, Australia, New Zealand, Indonesia, or South Africa.
1: I'll say New Zealand.
0: That's what I would have guessed. Mm. I thought it would be New Zealand. But it's actually Australia. Believe it or not, long before Europeans arrived in Australia, it was widely speculated that the southern hemisphere was home to a large landmass. It was often referred to as Terra Australis incognita, the Southern Unknown Land. I'll be there. So the name Australia comes from Latin for Southern. But that wasn't the first name Europeans gave. The Dutch who sailed near it, called it...
1: New Holland. New Holland.
0: Yeah, it appeared as New Holland on Globe, starting in 1681. But the Dutch never colonized the island. They just went by it when they were colonizing New Zealand. Then, in 1804, English explorer Matthew Flinders proposed changing the name to Land of the South. That's what Australia means. Now, one more question. Uh Uh-huh. Another continent was once named Australia, Land of the South.
1: Oh, really? New Zealand? No. No. Okay. A
0: continent, another continent. continent. Oh, a continent. So it has was to be it big. Greenland? No, just the opposite. Iceland. Antarctica.
1: That was called. What? That was
0: called Australia originally. Really? Yeah, the bottom of the earth. That was first named Australia, and it fits. It's the southern land, right? Uh-huh. But now it's known as Antarctica, and Australia, the land down under, is the southern landmass. That's okay. what the name means. I, I didn't know that that, uh, that meant south no, in Latin.
1: We missed Latin class that day, huh, I didn't. I, t-
0: I took Spanish. I didn't. <laughs> have, but, you know, it's derived from Latin. Okay. But, yeah. I, just,
1: I got out of English by the skin of my so teeth.
0: Australis so Australis is Latin for austral, which means southern, and that's where Australia comes from. Mm-hmm. Here's another pertinent thing that just came uh, in the news. You know, we've heard CEOs over the past few years say it was time to return to the office. You know, they warned yeah. that executives yeah. may have to take hard action against employees who want to work remote, right? <laughs> wonder how's that going. Uh, not well, very well, huh? well, well, well. <laughs> Here's an update on that. A study from April 2022 from a research consortium backed by the office messaging company Slack has found that of non-executives surveyed were back in the office five days a week, but guess what? Only 19% of executives were there. Really? Yes. They
1: stayed home. Well, that's surprising. (laughs) They're
0: still staying home.
1: How can you be in charge of anything if you're not there?
0: So for two years, after COVID strikes, fewer executives are in the office than workers. And that comes from a New York Times article, Hey, is anybody watching the interns? <laughs> <laughs> because the problem is the interns are graduating from college. They want to go into a company yeah. and, and form relationships with people to right, help their and they're careers. Not there.
1: And there's nobody there. Well, I think I would insist on executives at least three days a week, don't you think? <laughs> I would Bob? Think. let's do
0: that. Let's get the workers together and tell the executives what to do. Yeah. You get your butts in here.
1: That's just dumb. Don't you kind of wonder where this is all headed with all the empty office space?
0: Well, and you know, it's not just people who worked in cities either. What about all those big suburban office parks?
1: That's what I'm thinking all the time. What are they going to do with all that? They're
0: suffering too. If you drove on the Illinois State Tollway for years, you might remember seeing big office parks with huge logos like the one for Allstate Insurance. Well, we did all the time. Allstate's former 232-acre headquarters campus is empty. 95% 95% of their employees were able to work from home during the uh, COVID uh, uh-huh. lockdown. And so they said, okay, goodbye. They said goodbye to their home of 55 years. So that complex may be developed into a warehouse complex. Jeez. And developers of other big office parks in suburbs are thinking of turning them into, you know, apartment buildings or housing complexes. Wow. So big changes in the world.
1: Yeah. Who would have thought that, uh, yeah. that one of the biggest outcomes from the lockdown was all that?
0: This is a good final final quote on that. As one developer put it, don't worry, in the built environment, nothing ever completely disappears. That's been true of factories, mills, and canals. Uh-huh. They've all been converted into something else. Yeah. They think it may be true of the 20th century suburban office parks, too.
1: Okay. So, Bob, in the past, we have talked about the most popular foods in the United States. Uh Uh, Pizza topped the list, 55%, followed by hamburger, ice cream, and french fries. All top-notch healthy foods. All at the top
0: (laughs) of the food pyramid. You're absolutely right.
1: Uh, Who do you think is considered the healthiest state?
0: In the United States. Correct. The healthiest state. I'd say California.
1: I would have said that or Colorado, Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: no. Nay, nay, it is Vermont. Oh, The obesity rate and smoking is lower than many states, with just about 80% of the residents reporting daily exercise. So Vermont really tops it. But returning to the most popular foods question, let's talk about the world. Hmm. Based on data from 50 countries, what are the most popular foods in the world?
0: Now, that's an interesting question. Yeah. Most popular food. I would say rice has to be one because it'd be big in in Asia. I mean, it's it's a huge crop.
1: It's fourth on the list of the world. uh, And it's
0: used in all kinds of European dishes, too. I mean, you know, American and European. So that's fourth on the list, right? Yeah. Okay, so I need to have the top three. Yeah. I bet bread has to be one.
1: That's uh, farther down the road. Really? Yeah, way down. Because I uh, think
0: of grains. Wow. Yeah, that's but the,
1: you'll like the top because it's pretty much what you eat a lot.
0: What is it? Lettuce.
1: <laughs> I one. eat a lot of salad. Number one is salad. Okay. And number two is chicken.
0: Okay, so they list salad as a food. Yeah. Oh, I, th- I think of salad as a combination of things.
1: Well, every country has a little different mix, mashup of salads. Okay, but, but salads it's are the number one, number one foods, followed by chicken cheese rice and then these i don't understand tea and coffee I, you ever think of <laughs> tea and coffee as the top foods
0: well only going back to that thing where he talked about the tea being thought of as an aphrodisiac. i'm sure that you know remember people were putting tea leaves in their sandwiches yeah, and everything yeah i yeah. can see that but
1: and that's uh number seven <laughs> is milk followed by eggs Apples and soup. Wow, that's
0: That's interesting. I didn't hear any beef on
1: there. No, it comes later, but the top 10 most popular foods in the world.
0: Well, the top ones sound pretty uh, healthy. Healthy.
1: Yeah, what are they again? The top four, let's say? Uh, Salad, chicken, cheese, and rice. Not bad. No. That's great. Yeah. Okay. What do you got, Mr. Bob? I've got a question. Good. On, uh, on expression, <laughs> that's the idea. <laughs> you know, we love word
0: expression questions here. Yeah. Okay. So, cat got your tongue? Cat mm. got your tongue. What do they think was the origin of that expression? Now, uh. that's a question you throw to a person when they don't seem to know what to say. Like I didn't just there, and <laughs> I, I paused for a
1: moment. Yeah. Cat oh, got your tongue. Where do they think that came from? Um. Gosh, I don't know. Does it go back to Romans? It goes back to punishment, believe it or not. Oh, God, did they put it? Oh, explain, Lucy. Back to the British,
0: of course. <laughs> the, <laughs>
1: British Navy, of
0: the British Navy. The British oh, Navy. Okay. One of the possible sources for the phrase, uh, Cat Got Your Tongue, is the Cat O' Nine tails which were used as whips for flogging in the English Navy. Being whipped caused severe pain, so much so that the victim might stay mute for an extended period of time.
1: Oh, really?
0: So that's one potential. Uh-huh. Another potential origin of cat-got-your-tongue comes from ancient Egypt, where people would cut out blasphemers and liars' tongues and feed them to cats.
1: Oh, God!
0: That's a story. Oh, man!
1: Oh, <laughs> man! Yes, the
0: cruelty of human beings, another big topic here on The Off-Ramp.
1: Bon appétit. (laughs) Cat got your tongue? Because you're
0: not talking.
1: Oh, Lord. I think we better take a break.
0: Okay, we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. We're back and the cat doesn't have our tongue. I'm Bob Smith and... Marcia Smith. We're here with The Off-Ramp. Our podcast we do weekly for the Cedarburg Public Library in Cedarburg, Wisconsin, and which goes out over the world on multiple (laughs) platforms.
1: Yes, we are. Global.
0: And that means you have feedback on things once in a while. And I have feedback from our friend Stephen Short. One of our listeners. You remember last week I talked about Buckminster Fuller being oh, boring, boring and it, yeah. I felt bad about that? Uh-huh. Well, Steve worked for Buckminster Fuller when we were in college. He worked That's at, right. The, I forgot about it. And so he said, as I sit here with a couple of feet on my framed Dymaxion map, my, <laughs> which is a Buckminster Fuller map, of course, which surfaced during the move, he just moved. Uh-huh. I offer a defense of RBF, he calls him mr Fuller, what if you'd popped into an advanced psychology presentation or an auto repair class? Would you have branded that as a snooze, too? Just wondering. He said that once he told True believers, when he was working for them, he couldn't comprehend Fuller's presentations. I was advised to just let the words wash over you. Certain sections may not make sense, but then later portions would. So this is from a guy who worked for Buckminster Fuller. Yeah. So Steve says you just got to experience Bucky and let the experience wash over you. But he (laughs) does add here, truth be told, a couple of Bucky's textbook thick books ended up in my discard pile during packing for the move. So he didn't take them
1: yeah well i i can understand that. and i
0: have to add one point that was an open forum i saw him in it was for uh-huh. the public to come and uh, to talk about earth day so it should have been a more of a, a general public yeah. kind of presentation Yeah,
1: i think that's a failure but, but to give, communicate
0: but i'll give bucky credit and i want to thank steve for speaking up for rbf as he calls him
1: well how does rbf fit into bucky
0: Well, his real name was Richard Buckminster Fuller. Ah, thank you. And I guess only those who worked for him would probably know that. Just for those who might not know, Buckminster Fuller was an American architect, writer, designer, inventor, philosopher, and futurist. And he made the geodesic dome. That was the thing that that, most of us remember That's what I remember. So thank you, Stephen. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And hope your coastal move from San Francisco to the East Coast went well.
1: All right, moving on.
0: Okay, moving.
1: <laughs> moving on from Buck Mr. Fuller to Peanuts. Of course. The comic strip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good transition. She never appeared in the Peanuts comic strip, but the little red-haired girl did appear in a lot of Peanuts TV specials. She was, I don't know if you remember her, she was the object of Charlie Brown's unrequited love. Okay. Do you know the backstory on her?
0: No, I don't.
1: You know, often people think that Charlie Brown was Schultz, right? Charles Schultz, the uh the cartoonist. And
0: maybe Charles Schultz was smitten with a girl who had red hair.
1: That's exactly right. There's your deduction. That's it. She represents the girl who walked away and said no to his marriage proposal from Peanuts cartoonist Charles Schultz. Really? Yeah. The redheaded Donna Mae Wold worked in the accounting department of Art Instruction, Inc., a correspondence school where Schultz worked. They dated for three years, and despite her refusal to marry him, they remained friends their whole life. And he.
0: Uh, so it wasn't when he was a little boy? Oh, no. He was a, a, an adult. adult. Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: And he put her in there as uh, his object of desire. That's
0: charming. It is charming. And they remained friends forever. Yes. That's pretty cool. Uh huh. Marsha, I have a question for you on the New York City subway system. Did you ever ride the subway in New York City yes. when you visited yes, there? Yes, I have. Okay, here's the question. Mm -hmm. If you took all of the underground tracks in the New York City subway system and laid them end to end as a single tunnel, how long would it be?
1: Would it uh, be across the United States?
0: Across part of the United States. Okay. It would roughly be the distance from New York to Cleveland.
1: Okay. 418
0: miles of underground track. And that's how many miles a new cell phone project is going to link. Because if you take the subway today, there are pockets where you can't get any cell phone. Is that right? Yeah, I didn't know that. A handful of spots, and a uh, new ten-year effort is aiming to fix that. It's a six hundred million dollar project, and it's being paid for by a private communications infrastructure company. Who? Transit Wireless. They've been a provider of cell phone service, Wi-Fi service, to the subway system for years. But they're going to uh, do this project, spend $600 million, and then they'll eventually share revenue with the city once their installation costs are recouped. And supporters believe extending Wi-Fi through all of the tunnels could actually make the subway safer because it would give authorities multiple sources of communication during emergencies. Oh, okay.
1: Well, that makes sense. Yeah. You would think that everywhere in New York has... Connection.
0: Apparently, not even all of the overground subway stations have Wi-Fi. Really? It's spotty. It's different huh. places. Okay, so how many underground stations do you think there are in New York City, the subway system? Because they're going to link all those underground stations, together. too. Together.
1: How many? Under, uh, 24.
0: Now, well, let's try this again. you got 418 miles of underground track. How many stations you think are down there?
1: Um, 52.
0: 218. Oh, my
1: goodness. Well...
0: And the new yeah. project will extend Wi-Fi service to all those plus the above ground stations as well. Huh. I never think about that. Did you need Wi-Fi underground too? Yeah. If you're going to stay in touch, I'm sure people are doing work on the subway yeah. system and they yeah. lose their work between uh, stations and yeah. so forth.
1: Jeez. Okay, Bob. What do these four movies have in common? Okay. Okay. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Goodfellas, Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. We saw that. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And The Exorcist.
0: What's the question again?
1: What do they all have in common?
0: What do they all have in common?
1: Elms, Nightmare on Elm Street, Goodfellas, Exorcist. I, don't, I can't
0: think of a common I know. commonality
1: You'll be surprised. Okay. They're all based on on true stories
0: oh no kidding yeah nightmare it, on elm
1: street is yeah. based on a true well, story that is the most interesting of them you can see why exorcist there was a real case of uh yeah exorcism, exorcism. multiple cases and uh and the billboard outside ebbing that uh francis mcdermott played that was a real mother Uh huh. and uh goodfellas was based on a guy who uh wanted to grow up to be a mafia guy of course <laughs> but Nightmare on Elm Street, that came from, and this is very weird, Laotian male refugees after the war. Mm -hmm. They suffered traumatic resettlement problems when they came to the U.S. Okay. And they suffered from horrific nightmares, and many of them died. During the nightmares. During the nightmares? Yes. Wow. And a lot of them wouldn't even go to sleep, and then they died from sleep deprivation. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that was the basis of Nightmare on Elm Street.
0: Wow. I don't think that's the storyline of that movie. No, uh, not at
1: all. It has nothing to do with refugees, but that was the thought starter for that movie. Who would know that? That's interesting. I did. And now I've shared it with the world. Thank you
0: very much, You're welcome. Okay. Here's something that's related to a recent incident. So I'm going to ask you this question. What is the beeswax wreck? Ever heard of that? The beeswax wreck. No. Is it a man who overdosed on honey? He's the beeswax wreck. The crash of a truck shipping beeswax candles? Mm -hmm. Or a shipwreck that may have inspired the movie Goonies?
1: Well, I'll go with three. Shipwreck.
0: That's exactly right. The movie connection is the answer because marine archaeologists in Oregon have now concluded they've discovered remnants of a centuries-old shipwreck that they believe inspired the movie The Goonies. But actually, it's more interesting than The Goonies. The Goonies was about a treasure ship uh, somewhere on the coast, off the coast of Oregon. What they have actually found is 20 pieces of wood in a cave off the Oregon coast in June, and it turned out to be wreckage from a Spanish galleon, which crashed In 1693, and it was carrying beeswax.
1: I'll be darned.
0: Beeswax and Chinese pottery.
1: Well, that's an interesting combo.
0: It was part of a luxury goods trade that was between Manila and Acapulco, Mexico, and the ship got knocked off course. Now, there's always been thoughts that something like that happened, they couldn't ever put the pieces together. Uh Because for centuries, people were finding pieces of pottery shards that were Chinese Uh and little markings on things that were from beeswax containers. They never could put it all together. But recently, an Oregon local was searching for gemstones off the coast when he discovered this timber. And he said, that looks like it came from a boat. So he alerted archaeologists. And there's a group called the Maritime Archaeological Society.
1: You'd like that.
0: Oh, that sounds fascinating. (laughs) And they published a very interesting article. Apparently, this ship had many tons of beeswax in large blocks and candles, and then the porcelain wares were intended for the luxury markets in the New World in the late 1600s. I didn't know that. We had global trade like that.
1: Yeah, that's hard to believe, isn't it?
0: To European communities in the New World. They trace the pottery, the porcelain, to being made sometime between 1680 and 1700. They think that in 1700, there was a major earthquake that okay. created a tsunami, and then oh, that, and that scattered all the, of the, the stuff around the coast. Stuff. Yeah. Okay, well,
1: that makes sense.
0: But apparently, the Nahalem Indians, their oral history traditions, have often said that some of the crew of a surviving shipwreck lived with the coastal Indians for some time, leaving behind descendants whose families continue to this day, Spanish oh. sailors up in Oregon. Isn't that amazing? Yes. And this whole ship, it's called the the Beeswax Shipwreck. Go online and you'll find fascinating stories about it.
1: Will do. That was intriguing, Bob. Okay, I'm going to finish up with a couple of uh, quotes here. Okay. All right, here's a quote from Orson Welles. Okay. When you're down and out, something always turns up, and it's usually the noses of your friends. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's from personal experience yeah, who said that. Uh, he
1: went through a long, hard time there for a while. And here's from quarterback Johnny Unitas. I could have played two or three more years All I needed was a leg transplant. (laughs) (laughs) There you
0: go. (laughs) There's a man who knows his equipment. (laughs) All right. A leg transplant. Wouldn't it be nice if we could get those kinds of things that would take, right?
1: Yeah. I need need. a new leg, you know. That can make you still be a good quarterback.
0: Oh, my. All right. Well, time is up for what we have. We want to thank Steve for his comments and invite anyone else listening. We'd love to hear from you. You can go to our website, theofframp.show. Go down to contact us and leave your information. You can also leave us questions that we can pose to one another as well. That's it. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more great trivia here
1: on The The Off Ramp. Ramp.
0: The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.